Hey, everybody. Join us as we delve into our favorite dark tales and paranormal mysteries. Venture with us beyond the safe places that exist in daylight as we go Beyond Beyond the the shadows. Shadows. True crime. Paranormal. Hauntings. UFOs. Cryptids and unsolved mysteries. Conspiracy theories. Past lives. Reincarnation. And all the like are just a few of the topics that we will tackle. If it haunts your fucking dreams, then it will be on our show. Hi, welcome back to Beyond the Shadows, episode 15. Welcome back. We want to start out today just by thanking uh, some of you guys from actually participating, and we're getting some good show ideas and stuff like that. Yeah. We had uh, emails are starting to come in, so we definitely want to say uh, thanks, guys. We appreciate. That. Yeah, we've been getting a steady, steady stream of uh, some fire pit stories and some uh, show ideas and stuff like that. Just recently, we got some show ideas from uh, Andrew sent us some, and then there was uh, Eve. I think she's from Calgary. Yep. So, you know, said some nice things, send in some ideas and some stuff for us to check out. We really appreciate that. We like looking into these. Yeah, we're definitely going to look into those for sure. Yeah. And then we've gotten a few reviews out there on Apple, some nice ones from, uh, what is it, Silly Sally to you and one from Mom to Jay gave us some nice reviews. We appreciate those. Definitely. Thank you, guys. You know, and a few comments here and there. The gals over at the Spiritual Sisters podcast reached out and told, just said some nice stuff to us, and we appreciate that. Maybe you want to go over there and check out their podcast. Yep. Check them out, guys. They're doing their thing over there. So, But we really appreciate any input from all you guys. The fire pit stories have been coming in. have been great. Just uh, if you guys keep at it, tell a friend about the show. Hop on. Give us a review on Apple or Spotify or anywhere you can. We really appreciate that. So, Definitely, guys. Thanks. Uh, so do you uh, see all that stuff about the UFOs right now? I've been chomping at the bit to talk about this one. You know, this UFO stuff I love. So, <laughs> I'll let you jump right in. There. Yeah. So this one was on, I think it was News Nation is the ones that put it out first. But you guys have probably seen this. It's a whistleblower from yeah, inside of the, the Pentagon. Right yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's all over everything. I've seen it on Fox News, CNN. At first, that he brought this story to all of the networks and they all refused it. That's why it ended up on News Nation. And now they're fighting for it. And now that it's yeah, it's actually got some legs. Yeah. So there was a gentleman named, uh, I think it's David Grush. Something like that. Gersh, he was, yeah. yeah, he's in, uh, <clears throat> he was uh, higher up in the intelligence for the Pentagon. And he used the whistleblower program to basically blow the whistle on the federal government for covering up UFOs. Yeah. Well, UAPs. But yeah, this story so, is is so really he's, deep. He's claiming that they've got crafts, lots of crafts. So right? what he was on the UAP task force. So this guy, he he's got a high security clearance. Yeah. And he had to go around and talk to a lot of different individuals and he said that they're holding information from the task force. Like there's people within the Pentagon are not giving this information that they're supposed to be given and then people have come to him, you know, on their own and told him, hey, this is going on. He's got a lot. 
most of his stuff is secondhand, but it's from people in the Pentagon that are higher up. They're saying that they actually have non-human craft. And then just today, another article came out that was talking about uh, high up government contractors that are backing his story. They're saying that they have up to 12 craft, 12 craft that have either crashed or have landed and they've recovered. Yeah. So the whole thing is about a recovery. They have like a task force within the Pentagon that, you know, it's obviously through the military that goes out and recovers these crafts. I have no doubt that that's true. Without a doubt. I believe it with, you know, I 100% believe they're covering this up. They've had craft at least since Roswell. Well, he's saying back 80 years and that takes you right back to Roswell. You know, so this is, it's just nuts that this stuff is actually all over the news. Yeah. You know, you would have never seen anything like this before. No. So it's it's cracking. You know, this the stuff is just starting to leak, and I don't know. It, yeah, it's spring feels... springing too many leaks to use the old finger in the dam anymore. It's not working anymore. Yet. Yeah, it's just feeling so different now, man. Things are getting real. Yeah, so I hope it just keeps coming. You know, they're they're saying that they got nothing. They're still trying to, you know. They're going to deny as long as they can. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody's buying it anymore. I don't know if they'll ever come out and admit yeah. it. You know, I don't know that they ever will, but I know. It's easy easier now for people to actually report what they've seen or to believe and not be thinking. The thing is, though, even when they bot. do finally say, "Okay, we got them," even then we're going to be like, "What the fuck are they up to now?" One hundred percent. What they, kind of angle you work? Yeah, now? they could come out and say that they got them. They could show them to us, and then well, all of a sudden we'd be like, "Nah, this shit ain't real." You guys nope, are lying. No all right, we do have aliens. <laughs> You're lying. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> All right, so anyways, this week is Ryan's, and what do you got for us this week, man? Yeah, so a couple weeks ago in our intro, we actually talked about the the curse of the mummies and uh, how science thinks they've got an explanation for that. That just kind of got me thinking about I wanted to do some research and some other curses and see what I could find uh, throughout history. So actually, I'm going to call this episode uh, Cursed, and and basically that's what it is. It's about multiple curses from history. I'll just kind of lay out the facts and let you guys decide what you think on them. All right, I'm excited for this one. Let's go. All right, we're going to get right to it, guys. Thanks for listening. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? So what is a curse? Anyone who's ever listened to the Beyond the Shadows podcast has heard many curses. Shit! Fuck! I'm talking about the (laughs) other kind of curse. According to the Oxford Dictionary, a curse is a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. And Merriam-Webster defines it as such, evil or misfortune that comes as in response to imprecation or as retribution. So are curses real? Or do they appear real to some because they perceive anything negative that happens around them to be part of the curse and thus fulfill the destiny that they expect to occur? Let's look at some famous curses and see. The Hope Diamond. The legend is that any owners of the Hope Diamond have been cursed ever since it was stolen from an idol in India in the 1600s. At that time, all known diamonds in the world came from India, as they had not yet been discovered elsewhere. The story is that Jean-Baptiste Tavernier stole the diamond from a Hindu statue in 1666, where it was serving as one of the eyes the stone measured a whopping 115.16 carats. Whoa. Yeah. And was of the extremely rare blue variety. 
when the theft was discovered, the priest, priests placed a curse on whoever was in possession of the diamond. Tavernier brought the diamond to France and sold it to Louis XIV, the Sun King. Some reports state that not long after he was mauled by wild dogs. Others say that he caught a fever and died. In any case, the legend of the Hope Diamond Curse was just beginning. Those two things are very different. They're very different. <laughs> They're both unfortunate. Yeah, Maybe attacked by dogs and then got an infection. <laughs> Louis XIV had the rough diamond recut to 69 carats. It now became known as the Blue Diamond of the Crown or the French Blue. It was valued at what today would be $3.6 million. Louis became infected with gangrene and passed away from it, and all of his children died at a young age, save for one. Nicolas Fouquet worked for Louis XIV and was allowed to wear the diamond for special occasions. However, he soon lost favor with the king and found himself banished from France. Louis changed his mind about the punishment and decided that life imprisonment was a better punishment. Fouquet then spent 15 years in the fortress of Pignerol. The diamond was inherited by Louis XVI as part of the French crown jewels. His wife, Marie Antoinette, was reported to have worn it, and later on during the French Revolution, they were both imprisoned and then later beheaded. Marie Antoinette's closest confidant was Marie-Louise, Princess de Lambelle. She was reported to have worn the diamond as well, and she was killed by a mob, beheaded, stripped, and disemboweled. Her head was placed on a pike and paraded to Marie Antoinette's prison window while she awaited execution herself. Yeah, they didn't fuck around back they then. Did I mean, not they, play. They're they not done play. with you after you get dead. They're just getting started. <laughs> you know, that's just it. They, they kill you and then they do all sorts of shit to you. During the French Revolution, the diamond was stolen and recut by a Dutch jeweler named Wilhelm Gauls. After he recut the diamond down to the 45 carats it remains at today, the diamond was stolen by his own son, who then murdered his father before killing himself. The whereabouts of the diamond weren't known for many years. In 1839, the diamond appeared in the catalog of the gem collection of a wealth, the wealthy Hope family, after which point it became known as the Hope Diamond. It was reported that during its missing years, the diamond may have belonged to King George IV and that it had to be liquidated to settle his massive debts. In any event, the diamond ended up with Hope's grandnephew, Francis. Francis was a gambler with bad business sense and soon lost both his fortune and his wife and had to sell the diamond. The diamond was purchased by New York jeweler Joseph Frankel and Sons in 1901. They expected to make a huge profit on the stone, but it sat in their vault, and before long, they became cash poor due to overpaying for the diamond, and they went bankrupt. Greek merchant and stockholder Simon Merikrides, that's a tough one. Sounds dead on. You got yeah, it. Nailed I, it. I do think I nailed yeah. it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling pretty good about it. Bought the diamond, and not long after, drove his car off a cliff, killing not only himself, but his wife and child. Damn. Evelyn and Ned McLean were one of the wealthiest families in America when they next bought the diamond, owning the Washington Post, multiple banks, and a large portfolio of real estate. Evelyn is reported to have flaunted their wealth and showed off the diamond and even put it on their dog's collar. 
and McLean's son Vincent was struck by a car and killed. Nothing like rubbing in your rich. You put your freaking hope diamond yeah. on the dog's collar. It's just a slap in the face. It, it sounded like she was obnoxious and loved to show it off. Yeah, no doubt. One of them. You know, I was going to ask you. Were they? Did it keep? Get, it's getting smaller. So each time, I mean, were they just doing it to hide it? Uh, no, what they're or trying they, to do. It was a rough cut diamond. So then it was cut down to the. They uh, did it twice. The sixty nine carats, and apparently that still wasn't good enough. They weren't trying to hide it. They were trying to perfect it. Okay, you know, it's, and then down to forty five. But that's still a big. Well, that's style. huge, but yeah, I think it. But it's still the forty five today. So it wasn't recut again. But yeah, it's been recut twice. Why do they sell off the chips? I'm sure they're still they do. diamonds, right? And they're, and they're the rare blue variety, so apparently right. you know, they're worth quite a bit. So their son Vincent was struck by a car and killed. Ned later went insane, and their daughter committed suicide. Damn. Evelyn lost the Washington Post in bankruptcy. The diamond was purchased by Harry Winston, who donated it to the Smithsonian Institution. The diamond was delivered to the Smithsonian by mailman James Todd. Shortly thereafter, Todd had his legs crushed in an accident and suffered a severe head injury in a separate accident. That one's not even fair. He's the mailman. His house burned to the ground, and his wife and dog died not long after. <laughs> that's, that's not fair at all. No. He should not be under <laughs> the curse. All he did was drop that shit. Yeah, that's, that would suck. <laughs> the diamond has resided safely behind glass ever since. Uh, now, a lot of people don't believe in that curse, but when you, I mean, again, you could attribute it to a lot of stuff, but that, that's a lot of <laughs> it's shit. It's a lot of going bad shit. So, to me, it. there's got to be something to that curse. It wasn't like, you know, a broken toenail and shit. Like, he buys the diamond, goes off a cliff with his wife and kid. Like, she goes bankrupt, kid gets hit by a car, daughter commits suicide, husband goes inside. I mean, that's. That's a run of bad luck yeah, for sure. Those are definitely runs of bad luck, not like a single thing, but. Uh, yeah. So, that's our first curse. All right, so this one is about the curse of Tippecanoe. Tecumseh was a powerful Native American leader in the early 1800s, who, along with his brother, Tenskwatawa, yep, convinced it. many – yeah, I nailed that one too – convinced many tribes to join into a confederacy at the junction of the Wabash and Tippecanoe Rivers. There they founded Prophetstown to stop the American settlers from spreading into the Native American lands. General William Henry Harrison was charged with confronting Tecumseh, and in the ensuing Battle of Tippecanoe, the American, the Native American forces, excuse me, were defeated. Tecumseh then sided with the British in the War of 1812, where he was later killed and his body mutilated. Tecumseh's brother was then said to have placed a curse on all future U.S. presidents who were elected at the beginning of a decade, or in the years ending in zero. What a weird... That is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't say how he settled on that. <laughs> Harrison himself was elected president in 1840, but developed pneumonia delivering his inaugural address and died not a month later. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860 and was assassinated only a few months into his second term on April 14, 1865. James Garfield was elected president in 1880 before being shot by an assassin on July 2, 1881. He died on September 19th. William McKinley was elected to a second term as president in 1900. On September 6, 1901, he was shot by anarchist Leon Cholgaz. He died eight days later. In 1920, Warren G. Harding was elected president. His presidency is widely regarded as one of the worst in history, and he suffered a stroke and died while visiting San Francisco in 1923. 
1940, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected to his third term as president. In 1945, not long into his fourth term as president, he died of a cerebral hemorrhage. In 1960, John F. Kennedy was elected to the presidency. Three years later, he was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. That is a lot of coincidences. It is. It is. 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected president. The following year, he was shot by John Hinckley Jr., but Reagan seemingly broke the curse by surviving. Now, in 2000, George W. Bush was elected president and seemingly served without incident. Recently, however, the FBI arrested a man in Ohio allegedly connected to ISIS for plotting to kill former President Bush. Is this all just a coincidence, or is there something to this curse? Huh. Let us know what you think. That's that's a lot. It is. It is. In the dark forest lies a secret, told in broken stories by those who have bore witness, a monster, a murder, a long-forgotten homestead. I'm on the search for the ghosts who haunt these places, and I want you to come along. Welcome to Tales, Trails, and Taverns. Here I take an active approach to finding places that people might warn you not to go to. Haunted trails, abandoned towns, old taverns where you might catch a glimpse of a long-deceased patron. Look. You're probably not going to find me trekking through Arizona looking to have a run with a skinwalker, and you certainly won't catch me playing with a Ouija board, but I have spent at least the last 10 years seeking out creepy, haunted, and abandoned places to explore. So lace up your boots, grab a working flashlight, and join me as I tell the tales, hike the trails, and grab a cold pint at the local tavern. You can find the podcast on Apple, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can find show updates on Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Facebook, and YouTube. And also check out the blog at TalesTrailsTaverns.com. And now, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. I mean, it sounds whenever you hear curse, you're like, yeah, whatever. That's like one after another. Yeah, it was. It's it helped. Like it is weird that he settled on. Ending in zero, or you know, oh, maybe like he decade, didn't know. He thought there could be every ten years, you know. <laughs> and then you you think one or two, but that was seven. And then Reagan was the eighth, and he was shot. And by all accounts, he was close to death himself. But he pulled oh, yeah. through and maybe broke the curse. Well, I'm sure he had Alzheimer's too. Maybe that's from the curse, because you know his last term he wasn't. Yeah, you know, towards the end of his second term, he wasn't there for sure. Yeah. All right, so now we're on to the curse of 888 888. This is, or was, a real phone number in Bulgaria and is no longer in service. The reason? All owners of this number have died. Service to this number has been suspended forever. 8 is not considered unlucky in Bulgaria, like 13 in the U.S., or 666 for that matter. In some Asian countries, the number 8 is actually considered to bring good fortune. The first owner was Vladimir Grazhnov the former CEO of Bulgarian mobile phone company Mobitel. Mobitel was the company that issued the phone number. He died of cancer at the age of 48. Konstantin Dimitrov was next to sign the number. He was a well-known player in Bulgaria's organized crime, having worked his way up the ranks of VIS, an insurance and security company that was believed to have been the front for illegal activities. He was thought to be the biggest drug smuggler in the country at the time. On December 6th, 2003, he was shot in the Netherlands while visiting a diamond shop. 
He did not survive. Next, the number was given to Constantine Disleve, a businessman and real estate professional who was also rumored to be an underground drug smuggler. He was promptly shot to death in front of a Sofia restaurant. Since then, anyone trying to call the number gets a message saying that the cell number is currently outside of network coverage. Calls to the phone company only bring answers that they do not discuss individual phone numbers. So I, I believe, I don't have it in front of me, that the, the number was initially issued in like 99 or 2000. So it was a span of about four years that all three guys died. But two of them are in the organized crime game. So right. their deaths is not that unusual. So to me, this one reads a bit of a coincidence. Possibly uh-huh. there's something to it. Yeah. Uh, this just reminds me of a guy I was stationed with in the Air Force. He told me he used to get phone calls, and it would be like, it would be from kids. It's like, hey, do you know your numbers? Like two, three, five, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he said he got calls constantly to where he had to change his number. You don't even think about stuff like that. Now you're gonna have me going back over that number and trying to figure out what it I be. <laughs> I had a fo- no joke, just by coincidence. I had a phone number that spelt out my last name. Really? Yeah. It was two, three, three, four, six, nine. Three, four, nine, six. I think that's right. Three, four, nine, six. So if you guys can figure out my last name from that, <laughs> you can decode that. It spells out my, my last name's five letters, but it uh it's it's the first four letters. It's just by coincidence I I ended up with that phone number. I some good guesses in the mailbox next week. (laughs) BeyondTheShadows207 at gmail.com. Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Next up, we have The Curse of the Dead Man's Chair. Anyone who ever visits the Thirsk Museum in North Yorkshire, England, will see what looks like an ordinary antique oak chair hanging from the ceiling. But this is no ordinary chair. And the reason it's hanging from the ceiling is simple. Because anyone sits in it, ends up dead. The story starts back in the 1600s. Thomas Busby was known to be a drinker, a thief, and generally a thug of sorts. He married a woman named Elizabeth Awady, whose father was also a criminal. Awady purchased a farm, which he then converted to a better accommodate his criminal activities. He and Busby began committing crimes together, the chief amongst them reported to be counterfeiting. Busby owned a small inn about three miles away. Legend is that one day Busby and Awady began fighting. This wasn't unusual for the two drinkers and criminals, but today was different. They argued for several hours, and later on Busby arrived back at the inn in a drunken and combative state. Awady was there, and not only threatening to take his daughter daughter away, he had the audacity to be sitting in Busby's favorite chair. Bastard. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Shit. Busby physically removed his father-in-law from the chair, but was unable to let the matter drop. Later that night, he grabbed a hammer and made his way to Alwady's farm. He killed his former associate and hid the body in the woods where it was quickly discovered. He was arrested and tried for murder in the summer of 1702. He was convicted and sentenced to death. One version of the curse that follows was this. Busby was allowed to return to, his, to the inn for one final drink, which he took from his favorite chair. As he was being led away, he screamed a curse that anyone who dared sit in his chair after his death would die themselves. The first known victim occurred when two friends had drinks at the inn. 
They both became intoxicated and sat in the chair before making their way home. One of them decided he was asleep near the road and was found hanging the next morning from a tree near where Busby had been executed. In World War II, many Canadian airmen from a nearby base sat in the chair while drinking at the inn, and supposedly none of them returned from their missions. In 1967, two Royal Air Force pilots sat in the chair while visiting the inn and were killed in a car crash on their way back to base. This dude really liked his seat. Man. I know he did. He has had a view or something. The fact that the father-in-law was going to take away his wife pissed him off, but him sitting in the chair it wasn't enough. Sit his kid too, right? If he was chose to like yeah. choose between the two, yeah, he's taking All his right, chair. I'm going to take the chair. I, I just, can always get another wife, right? but this chair is comfortable. <laughs> Norm. <laughs> a couple of years after that, two bricklayers visited the inn. One of them sat in the chair. And later that afternoon, he fell off the roof to his death. A cleaning woman fell into the chair while mopping the floor. I mean, she didn't even sit in the That's fucking thing. That's not fair. She fell into the That's... chair while mopping the floor and died of a brain tumor not long afterwards. Yeah, that one's not she fair got hosed. He yeah. said anybody sits in my chair. He didn't say stumbled into the right? thing. That's, that's bullshit right there. The pub owner decided he had seen enough and moved the chair into the basement not out of harm's way. He One... fell down the stairs and died. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't even have touched the thing that no, moved in the, the chair, basement. That's the chair is forever. Hire a new guy. That. Don't tell him the story. <laughs> Your first job is to bring that chair into the basement. <laughs> Get an insurance policy on him. <laughs> you know, I never not, saw it coming. I'm not putting you on the company's health care plan. I'll take that right now. Uh, one day, a delivery man who knew nothing of the chair was in the basement making a delivery when he decided to sit for a rest. He crashed his truck maybe an hour later and died. They weren't all included in the story, but allegedly all told, there have been at least 60 people who died as a result of having sat in the chair. It was researched by a Dr. Adam Bowett, and he found that the spindles were actually machine-made rather than hand-spun, indicating it was likely made around 1840, a full 138 years after Busby died. However, all of the reported deaths occurred after 1840, so that doesn't necessarily mean the chair, the chair isn't cursed. It just kind of changes the timeline. That's a lot of people dying in one chair, from one uh, chair. In researching this story, I was only able to find maybe eight or nine of the supposedly 60 people that died as a result of having sat in the chair. Uh, there's just not a lot to it in the research I was able to do. I know we've got a lot of listeners in the UK. Yeah, shout out UK. Absolutely. We've got quite a few in the UK, so yeah, that's great. Impressive. And a lot of times these stories don't go beyond the local. Like the, the local people have more access to the information, and it doesn't always get out there. So yeah. definitely anybody in the UK that knows anything that I didn't put in or I screwed up or, or has any additional deaths that I wasn't able to dig up, uh, definitely write into us at beyondtheshadows207 at gmail.com, and I will be happy to mention any updates or corrections in a future episode. All right, so today's last curse is called The Curse of the Crying Boy. By 1985, several house fires in England occurred, wherein everything was destroyed except for a single painting hanging on the wall. This painting was known as The Crying Boy, and people came to believe it was cursed. The painting was mass-produced in the 1950s from a work by Bruno Amadio, and the print features a very sad-looking little boy who is crying. 
Other versions say that the painting was made by a Spanish artist named Giovanni Bragalini, but the rest of the details read the same. Uh, and anybody who's curious, it's very easy to find a picture of this painting online. There are numerous alternative versions of the painting, but all feature sad young children. The legend is that the portrait of the crying boy was an orphan, and not longer after the work was completed, the art studio was destroyed in a fire, and the orphan was killed in a car crash. The painting caught on in the years after World War II, especially in England, and thousands resided in homes. Some people reported that they believed the painting had led to the death of family members. Many believed it contributed to fires, lots of fires. And in a great many of these fires, the painting was completely untouched. A firefighter named Alan Wilkinson said he believed that most of these fires were the result of carelessness rather than supernatural happenings, but did note that more than 50 of them had occurred since 1973. Damn. Uh, one firefighter stated that no firefighter would have a copy of this painting hanging in his house. As the story of the fire spread, a sort of panic gripped the nation, and Kelvin McKenzie, the editor of The Sun, proposed a solution. People could send in their paintings to the newspaper, and the staff there would destroy them. On Halloween, The Sun staff destroyed more than 2,500 copies. Examination of the paintings revealed that it was coated with a varnish that contained a fire repellent. And while this could certainly explain why the painting itself tends not to burn, it doesn't explain why so many places containing the painting burned to begin with. Uh, the legend is that the curse will only affect those who are aware of the curse, proving that ignorance is definitely bliss. Always has yeah. been for yeah, me. Yeah, in my experience. <laughs> if I don't know about it, not a problem. Didn't happen. <laughs> and that the only way to lift the curse is to give it to someone else. Uh, that wouldn't be an option for most people, but I'm guessing it definitely wouldn't bother Kevin from the Dippin' Dogs episode. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we give it more than once. We're never going to be done with that hey, guy. He'd be yeah, fine. You know? the, house, <laughs> the house would burn down. It'd still be left. He'd take it. He'd re-gift it. <laughs> give it to somebody else. Yeah, one more time. Until <laughs> that insurance policy is collected. <laughs> it's believed that several hundred of these paintings still exist out there. In my opinion, the legend was started by someone who owned some of these paintings and wanted to dramatically de decrease the inventory to drive up the price. Uh, yeah, outside of the arson type of shit, that's something I would right. definitely <laughs> You I'll guys should all destroy yours yeah, for right. sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody that knows anything more about that case, definitely write into uh, beyondtheshadows207 at gmail.com. Uh, certainly anybody that actually has one of those paintings, I would definitely love to hear from you if you've experienced anything or know anybody that has. <laughs> Don't gift it to us. Yeah. <laughs> Send it to Kevin. I'm not sure what his address <laughs> We're not giving out our P.O. box for that one. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for listening, guys, and we're going to jump right to this week's uh, Fire Pit. I guess you know what time it is. You can't track that Fire Pit. All right, this week's fire pit comes from Hillary. Hey guys, I recently discovered your show and have been listening ever since. I binged through all the episodes in like two days. Wish you had more episodes, but I'm glad I discovered you early so I can watch the show grow. We're working on it, Hillary. You guys have great banter and are hilarious. Keep doing what you're doing, and I know you'll be huge one day. Well, thank you, Hillary. My story is actually my father's story. We lived in an old home in New England at the time. 
Our house was active from the moment we moved in. Things would happen on a regular basis. Lights on and off, doors opening and closing, and even an occasional glimpse of something out of the corner of your eye. One day, my father was lying on the couch in our living room taking a siesta, as he so often did. He was awakened by something rubbing against his arm. He opened his eyes to see that a balloon that my mother had gotten him for his birthday, you know, one of those over-the-hill balloons from back in the day? Yeah. I remember those. I do remember those. Oh, wasn't that like a big over-the-hill, you're 50? Yeah, I, I, think, I, thought, I thought it was everything. 40. You might be right. I thought it was 40. But... Yeah, we'll go with 50. Yeah. <laughs> 40 can't be over the hill. <laughs> Sorry. Over the hill balloon for back in the day. It was moving across the room. One problem was that he had put his balloon in the closet upstairs as it was deflating. He said he was waiting for the air to run out before he threw it away so as not to hurt my mom's feelings. Somehow, this half-deflated balloon had made it out of the closet and down the stairs, only to bump into my sleeping father. He said it, had, he said it was moving away from him, so he grabbed the string, but said he let go because he claimed it felt like somebody had a hold of the other end. Whew. He watched the balloon as it moved around the room at waist height, going from one end to the other. The balloon eventually moved right back by him and out of sight into the hallway. He see, said he got up to see where it was going, and he watched the balloon as it went back up the stairs and returned to the room where it had come from. That's creepy as shit. <laughs> yeah, it is. This is just one out of a hundred stories we have from that house. After all us kids grew up and moved out, my parents sold the house and moved to a, a nearby town. I, on occasion, will drive by and wonder what the people who live there now experience. Anyways, thanks for reading. Hope maybe this makes it on the show. I know if it does, I'll be listening. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Hillary. All thanks right. Thanks for listening, Hillary. That Good was story. a great story. Thank you. And uh, we'll wrap it from there, guys. Thanks for joining us this episode, and we will see you next week. Uh, later. <laughs>